Thor Love and Thunder is the fourth standalone Thor movie from Marvel Studios since Chris Hemsworth first wielded Mjolnir the hammer back in 2011. Feels longer. Of course, he's turned up as Thor in a few other Avengery films over that time, so we're never too far away from Hemsworth in a wig and a cape. Where the last two Thors have been much more interesting and, dare I say it, entertaining than the first two, has been the introduction of Taika Waititi to the creative hot seat. In Ragnarok in 2017, Waititi and Hemsworth combined with Kate Blanchett to make a film that was light-hearted, but also about genocide at the same time. Hold on, that's the same plot as Jojo Rabbit, isn't it? Anyway, more analysis on that level later on. But first, a plot summary. Since the last Avengers film, Thor has been pootling around the universe with the Guardians of the Galaxy, doing heroic things with his usual mix of muscle-bound innocence and incomprehension. Has he found a family at last? Meanwhile, on another planet, a simple peasant named Gore prays for the life of his daughter during a terrible drought. His devotion to the god Rapu is not rewarded, in fact, quite the opposite, the source of Rapu's power, the Necro's sword, offers itself to him so he can take his revenge on Rapu and then on all the other selfish, indolent and indifferent gods in the universe. He becomes Gore, the God Butcher. Incidentally, in the comics, the Necro sword is also known as the All Black, which strikes me as a promotional opportunity missed. Back on Earth, Thor's first girlfriend, Jane Foster, played once again by Natalie Portman, has stage 4 cancer. A cancer that nobody in the film acknowledges was probably caused by her adventures with Thor back in the dark world. She travels to New Asgard in Norway, where the shattered hammer Mjolnir puts itself together again to give her the power to overcome her disease. Or is that the only reason? So that's the ex-girlfriend, is it? The old ex-girlfriend. Jodie Foster. Jane Foster. The one that got away. The one that got away. That means escaped. Yeah. Yeah. Must be hard for you to see your ex-girlfriend and your ex-hammer hanging out and getting on so well. What you up to, bro? Go to daddy. No. No, no. Just calling you. Anyway, enough about the plot. That's just the setup. Suffice to say that Thor, his amusing rock like sidekick Korg, once again played by Waititi himself, Foster, and King Valkyrie, Tessa Thompson, team up to try and stop Gore from destroying all the gods one by one, even though some of them clearly deserve it. Gore is played by a brilliant and committed Christian Bale, the latest in the long line of top-of-the-line movie actors to front up for a Marvel movie, and he really is jolly good. Get the best actors you can find, I say, even if you then bury them under a mountain of makeup. I've heard some carping from critics that this film is Waititi at his most indulgent. It's just Taika being Taika, they say. The shtick is getting old. But I disagree. This is clearly Waititi mining the same seam and the same themes as all of his films since Eagle vs. Shark back in 2007 and even before that, but I'm not sure if he's pulled off the balancing act quite as successfully before this. What balancing act, I hear you ask? The balancing act between sincere emotion, 
pain, loss, grief, and the need that he has to undercut that emotion with silly jokes. It's a natural human habit, we've all done it, but Waititi has made it his signature effect to the extent that the tonal shifts can seem confounding. His central characters are often lost, alienated from father figures who are missing, like Jojo Rabbit or Ricky Baker in Hunt for the Wilder People, or useless, like Alamein in Boy, or a despotic bully, like Odin in the Thor films. His central characters are always being let down by the people who are meant to love them, and then they have to go and find someone else who will do the job, even if those people are not always appropriate family material. They're in the Shadow Realm. How do you know? The atmosphere there has a darkness like no other. It's as if color fears to tread. It's unmistakable. Well, then, if it's color we need, let's bring the rainbow. Bring the rainbow? Is that a catchphrase or something? She's only been a Thor for a minute. I mean, saving lives, she's quite good at, but the rest of it, she needs work. How many catchphrases have there been? A lot. Yep. Jump the gun. Hang on, he moves through shadows and he's going to the Shadow Realm. It seems like that's where he's going to be the most powerful. You're right, we can't just go marching in there. It could be a trap. Are you thinking what I think you're thinking? I'm thinking it. What are we thinking? Thinking what? Thinking it too. Omnipotency. I once described Waititi's boy as either the saddest comedy I'd ever seen or the funniest tragedy, and I couldn't pick which. There's a reason I think why Thor, the character, fits in so well with Waititi's endless exploration of these themes. Hemsworth plays him as the innocent abroad, the naive man-child with a limited set of skills but a big heart and a big ego. But he also plays those brief moments of sadness terribly well. They're very brief because, like every Waititi hero, the disappointment has to be hidden and the brave face put back on. In Love and Thunder, he even goes looking for the greatest father of them all, Zeus, and is, of course, disenchanted. He has more in common with Gore the God Butcher than he knows. So, I absolutely loved Thor Love and Thunder. I laughed at the fun bits and I cried at the sad bits. I'm sure I'll enjoy watching it again. In fact, this one might be worth adding to the at-home collection. That's about as much as anyone can ask for a film these days, I think. What's it been like? Three, four years? (laughs) Eight years, seven months and six days. Give or take. My, uh... Thor Love and Thunder is rated M for violence and is the number one film all over New Zealand now.